Father, again, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much uh, for this opportunity to come into your presence to worship you in song, in word, in giving, Lord God, in fellowship, in all these ways that one commonality amongst us, uh, this is Jesus Christ. My prayer, Lord God, is that your word would impact all of us today. Pray that your, your spirit would seize our souls. That we would not uh, be able but to help. We can't help uh, the fact that you are transforming us and changing us uh, from the inside out, Lord God. So we yield ourselves to you. We yield ourselves to you now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, first thing I want to tell you, and that is, I think I want to change the name of this message. From what you see, the traits of a child of God and a child of the devil. I want to change the name of this message to who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Well, when a woman becomes pregnant, many things seems to run through the imagination of her mind and uh, if the dad knows in the imagination of his mind. One of those things that uh, run through their mind is the gender of that child. Is it a boy or is it a girl? Uh, some people say that there are special ways of determining gender. Uh, like you can, you can always tell uh, which baby is which, I forget which one it is, by how high the baby sits in the belly. Have you heard that before? Uh, how does it go? If the, if the belly is high, it's, it's a what? Girl, and if it sits low, then it's... Okay, well, whatever it is, because uh, I've never been pregnant, so I can't tell you. Amen. Whatever it is, uh, we have our ways, our old wives' tales and ways of determining the, uh, the gender of uh, the baby without, making, without having an uh, ultrasound. But other questions also plague the minds of the parents, like, will this child be born healthy? This is definitely one of uh, the most important concerns of a mother one of the most important concerns of a father. Will my baby be born healthy? But there's uh, other things that are in the mind of folks. Uh, we say that it lurks in the back of the mind, but in some folks it's in the front of their mind for various reasons. And that question is this. Who will this baby look like when they come out? Some parents, they have a list of desired traits uh, that they expect. Well, I want my baby to have my, if it's a boy, I want him to have my eyes, uh, uh, and I want him to have my husband's physique, physique if he's in uh, shape, and I want him to have the mind of whoever, but if it's a girl, I want the girl to look just like me. But you see, ladies, I want you to know this. Every father looks at that baby because they want to make sure that something about that baby 
looks like him. I'm just telling you the truth. Because the conversation goes like this, you know. Oh, look at the pretty baby. And, and, and the father is holding the baby. Oh, look at his ears. Oh, look at the nose. And let me look at his hands. He's trying to find out in what way does this baby look like me. Uh, because uh, even though I know that everything is good, I just need to make sure that everything is good. Traits resembling the father and or the mother are important because they help us to determine if this child is ours. Uh, one of the really interesting things uh, I, I remember, uh, I'm thinking now in the back of my mind, uh, I always think of my father and his family. And he's always asked a question, uh, does he have any brothers or sisters that look like him? And I always said, you know, my father, he reminds me of my grandmother so much. Uh, but I always wonder in the back of my mind, does he have any brothers or sisters? They all seem to look different. Until finally I met one brother, uh, Underwood, and I saw him and I thought he was uh, my father's twin. I'm like, okay, yeah, they got the same parents. I see it now. So we know that babies don't immediately look like their parents. You know, sometimes, sometimes it takes a long time for this child uh, to develop. Uh, so, so fathers, uh, don't say that this baby don't look nothing like me. You just hold on. Uh, you give it about 18, 20 years, and that baby may look like your twin. But one thing is for sure. You can identify the parents of that child by observing the traits of the mom and dad and then comparing them with that baby. So in our series we have talked a lot about identifying people in relationship to our love of God and our love of people and even the relationship that we have for one another. Uh, today uh, we simply uh, ask the question, uh, who's your daddy? Who is your daddy? Uh, what are the traits that you have and do they exemplify uh, who your father is? And this, of course, will be determined by looking at your spiritual traits. In other words, you'll be asking this question of yourself. Am I a child of God? Or am I a child of the devil? And turn with me to 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. This is one of the first traits. His first trait is that a child of God abides in Christ. A child of God abides in Christ. Verse 28. Johnny writes, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. So uh, abiding in Christ is a command of Jesus. Uh, what Jesus stated to his original disciples, now the apostle John, he now states to us. In fact, in John chapter 15, verse, verses 5, uh, verses 4 and 5, this is the gospel of John. We see that uh, Jesus says that if we abide in him, we will bear much fruit uh, because we can't help, uh, we can't do, we can't uh, bear fruit without abiding in him. In John uh, chapter 15, verse 6, 
It says that by not abiding in Jesus, we become worthless and fit only to be burned like dry leaves that have fallen to the ground in the autumn. John 15 uh, and 7 says, by abiding in Jesus, we can ask whatever we want and it will be done for us. John 15, 8 says, uh, Jesus says that by abiding in him, the Father will be glorified. We will bear much fruit and by that prove to be his disciples. So, uh, but what does this idea of uh, to abide mean anyway? Well, to abide means to remain in the same place over a period of time. In other words, it's like making really, really good tea. When I was a kid, we, uh, uh, the type of tea that we had, there was really only one type of tea that I knew of, and that was Lipton tea, you know, the man with the hat. Uh, that was all that, there was no such thing as green tea, all this other stuff, it was that Lipton tea. And how I thought that as a kid that you make tea, right? you get your hot water and you take your tea bag and you dip it in and you dip it out. Take that tea bag, you dip it in and you dip it out. You dip it in and you dip it out, you dip it in and you dip it out. That's how I thought that you made tea when I was a kid. Uh, but one of the things that I understood is that uh, by taking that tea bag and dipping it in and dipping it out, that you got tea, but what you got was really weak tea. You see, in order to create uh, a great tasting tea, uh, there's only one uh, best way, one best practice of doing it. And that is we take the tea bag and we put it in the hot water and we what? Uh, we let it stay there. We let it remain there. You see, uh, in order to make good tea, you have to take the tea bag and allow the tea bag to abide in the hot water. And after a period of time, now you got uh, the type of tea that you want, uh, the strength that you really want. You see, it's not real tea unless uh, the bag abides in the water so that the heat from the water permeates the tea leaves over a period of time. Brothers and sisters, in order for God uh, to get the desired result of our lives, out of our lives, we must also remain in Christ for a period of time. You see, the problem is, most of us who call ourselves Christians, what we do is, we dip into church and we dip out of church. Uh, we decide uh, that we're going to dip into God's word and dip out of God's word. And we dip in on Sunday and we dip out and we think that's it. But the bottom line is that when you are a dipping Christian, that all you end up with is a weak Christian. You see, to be strong in your faith, you have to abide in Christ. That if you're going to be a strong Christian, uh, that you must not only uh, get make the initial entrance into uh, the presence of the Lord, uh, but we must remain there as well. And the longer we remain there, the more we look like our daddy. So my question to you, this afternoon is what type of Christian are you?
Are you an abiding Christian? Or are you a dipper? Do you remain in Christ or do you dip in and out according to how you feel? I feel good today, so I'm going to dip in to Christ. When things get bad, I don't want nothing to do with those people in the church. I'm just going to be up in my little funk. So one of the traits of a child of God, that if God is your daddy, is that you abide is that you live in Jesus Christ. Well, what is another one? A child of God is born of him. A child of God is born of him. 1 John chapter 2, verse 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. People who practice righteousness have been born of God. But first, uh, understand uh, that if you're going to be born of God, uh, that you have to approach Jesus Christ, who himself, he is our righteousness. And this right here is one of the core truths of our faith. Uh, one of the things that we must get through our thick heads, and that is Jesus Christ, that he is righteous. He is right. And he is just in his innateness and also in his actions. So our practicing of righteousness is existing in a way that expresses moral rightness and right worship. You see, we have to live our lives accordingly to the standards of a high and holy God. And not only just be good, but our worship must be right as well. Uh, so to be born of God, it expresses itself in Christ Jesus. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, there it is again. Uh, the Apostle John is saying uh, that if you have accepted Christ, that you have been born of God. And then if you have received Jesus, then God gives you the right to become his child. Right? Uh, so if you want to uh, claim a promise of God, uh, people always talk about what are your promises? Uh, what is this? What is that? What is your promise? One of the things that you can claim beyond a shadow of a doubt is that, that if you have accepted Jesus Christ, you have a right to become his child. Amen? You have a right to become his child because Jesus Christ, he burst in on the scene, uh, sacrificing himself, uh, therefore, for allowing us uh, uh, an entrance into the presence of the Almighty. So again, what does this mean to us? It means that the work that we do, the good things we do for people or for the church, is not alone sufficient to be born of God. I need to say that again. 
right? The stuff that you do, all the stuff that you do is not enough for you to be called a Christian. That in order to be called a Christian or a disciple of Jesus Christ, that you must accept him in his fullness and you also must live like it as well. Amen? In other words, you do not and cannot become a Christian through osmosis. You know what I mean? By absorbing something just because you are extremely close proximity. Because if that were true, then you'd probably call my name Dolores. Because you see, my wife, she's always uh, in close proximity of me. So just because she's in close proximity of me, that does not make me Dolores, right? All right, so just because uh, you happen to be in a grocery store, that does not make you a grocer, even though you may go there every week, amen? So just because you dip into church and you dip out of church, that does not make you a Christian. It is God and God alone who makes you his disciple. Uh, that when you accept him, then you have been born again. What is another trait, in this case, of a child of God? A child of God has God's love and has God's name. God's love and his name. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Read that again. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him isn't it interesting that God the Father he loves us so much that he gave us his name in some societies today there are some parents who want nothing to do with their children once they are born now there's very re various reasons why this happened we can't judge all of them but we just know that it does happen in some of the most severe cases, they abandon their babies. And in case of uh, our, our city, uh, they, they leave their babies at a uh, fire station with the hopes that they'll find new, new, a new family for them. And once they find new families, those babies are given uh, a new family and then they're given a new name as well. So when we take on the name of God, we don't have to keep our old names. Because our old names only identified us with a marred humanity, right? I'll say that again. Our old names spiritually identify us with a marred humanity. Before Jesus, we lived in a world that promised love and only delivered abuse. The family of this world fails uh, in its parenting because it always takes from us and it don't give us anything. Or if this world gives, they always attach a lot of strings to what they give to you. So the whole purpose of giving us new names in Christ is not only to identify us with God, but also to identify us uh, with uh, our new family, and that is our Christian family. 
But John, he goes on in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, the world does not uh, know us because it doesn't know the Lord. That's why people who are not in the faith, they look at you so strangely. And they wonder about your ways and they can't figure you out. They do know that there's something special about you. They do know that there's something different about you. Uh, but they don't know who you are. They just know that you're different. But John goes on in uh, verse 2, chapter 3 of our passage. He says, Beloved, uh, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Uh, John says, so when we deal with ourselves and we look at ourselves and we say, yeah, we're saved, but I still have issues. Uh, that it makes you wonder, did Jesus really do something in my life? But you see, what Christ has done in your life, it is not an emotion. Amen? Amen? Uh, when, when your company cuts you a check for working for them, uh, that is not an emotion. Uh, that is something, in, in one sense, uh, something they've done for you. When you cut your grass, other than the pride that you experience, you do it because it has to be done. You're not emotionally attached to cutting your grass. So when Jesus saves us, it is a work that simply has happened. We accept it, receive it, and celebrate it. Oh boy, but it's easy. It's always easy to look at others and say, I thought you were a Christian. And if you were honest, you would ask yourself sometimes as you look in the mirror, I thought you were a Christian. So you are correct when you say that this church thing simply doesn't work. I'll be honest with you, this church thing doesn't work for me either. Because you see, a church thing without a God thing is nothing. Uh, so the church thing should not work. Uh, what it is about, it's all about relationships. In that truth rests our ability to trust God enough to know that there is more. Uh, so once we receive Christ, we also look to the future. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Then in Philippians 3, verse 20 and 21, uh, Paul deposits. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. In other words, Paul is also saying he concurs with John by saying that there is more. What we have now, all the aches and the pains and, and the other things that we pray about and that we have prayed about in the past, that one day that's going to be the end of that. Uh, that all the time that you worry about your children, that one day you're not going to have to worry about them at all. Amen. Uh, that when you're worrying about how to pay your bills, that one day that's not going to be an issue for you. Hallelujah. 
uh, that uh, when you're worried about your job, that you don't have to worry about that anymore, amen? Or even how much interest you collect in the bank. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff because one day, we all will be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, oh, isn't that wonderful that God thought enough of me that says at the last trumpet, I know I'm going to be in heaven. You should have played the trumpet. So one day, you don't have to stock your medicine cabinets with aspirin. No need for Tylenol, Advil, Motrin, or any other thing there. No cough syrup, and guess what? No vitamins. No essential oils or anything else that you shove down your pie hole, hoping that the rest of you end up a lot stronger. So God tells us, hey, look, I know what you're going through right now, but he's telling you, don't, don't worry about it because I got this. But what he says, he says, cling on to me. He says, what? Uh, Jeremiah 1.11, I am watching over my word, uh, making sure that it is going to be performed. So if you're clinging on to him, and if you're clinging on to his word, that it is going to be performed in your life. So how do we respond to that? Get God's word into your belly. Memorize your words. Do hand motions like they did last week so wonderfully. Do whatever you have to do to get God's word in you because if it's in you, God has no other choice but to perform it. So those who truly hope in Jesus purifies himself. 1 John 3 and 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him that is, hopes in Jesus Christ, purifies himself as he, as he is pure. Now, this is not talking about the fact that, uh, that you're going to do something to yourself uh, to make sure that you're pure. No, it is because when we put our hope in Jesus Christ, that once we place that hope, once we accept Jesus Christ, once uh, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell, he begins to purify us and, hang and sanctify us as well. So another trait of God, of a child of God, is that they have God's love and also God's name. Well, let us take a look at another child here. That is, who are the children of the devil? Here it is. A child of the devil practices sin. A child of the devil practices sin. 1 John chapter 3, verse 6, verse 4 through 6. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. It is Jesus Christ that he appeared in order to remove sins. And in him, there is no sin in Jesus Christ. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Right? You, you, you need to write that down. It says that a child of the devil, that they practice sin. In other words, that if you are living in blatant sin and you don't care what anyone thinks, then more than likely you are not a child of God, that your daddy is the devil. 
That's what the word says. That's not me. Uh, so again, if you have issue, you have issue with God's word. So the person who practices sinning practices an activity which the Lord does not sanction. So as we consider the book of 1 John, one of the things which emerges is the importance of keeping the commandments of Jesus Christ, and that is to love one another. So it not only makes sense then, what is this practice of lawlessness that one of the practices of lawlessness is that it does not or they do not love the brothers? It's quite clear. So one of the traits of a child of the devil is that they do not love the brothers or sisters in the faith. But a child of the devil does not practice righteousness. Verse 10, uh, chapter 3 here. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. He says it very plainly there. Now one thing we can know for sure is that uh, one of the practice of, uh, of, uh, of no righteousness or a lack of righteousness is lies. Very quickly, John chapter 8 verse 4. The gospel of John chapter 8 verse 4. In responding to the Pharisees, Jesus says this, You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him. <laughs> Look at this. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar and the father of lies. You get that? Uh, that means that when you lie, that you are showing signs of following someone who's not following God. Simple as that. When you lie, you are indicating there's something about you uh, that's not following God. In Acts chapter 13, verse 10, uh, Paul says of uh, Elimas, uh, which means, his name means, check this out, child of salvation. But he says this to him, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceits and villainy. And then in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, it says, and the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent's who is called the devil and Satan. And here it is, the deceiver of the whole world. So one of the things that accompany a child of the devil is their ability and their desire to lie. Uh, the command not to bear false witness against our neighbor directly speaks to what is exactly empowering you or what is exactly empowering a person and that is to follow after the devil. I know you may do it to get out, of the, get out of trouble, but number one, what got you in trouble in the first place? More than likely, you were doing something you had no business doing. So we lie about it. So not only do we sin on one front, but we add another sin to the first sin. 
So in the Ten Commandments, when, when God speaks to Israel and commands them not to lie, he implicitly instructs them not to be like the devil. From the very beginning, the devil has been sinning. First John chapter 3, verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And again, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy or to loose the works of the devil. The very reason the Son of God uh, came upon this earth is to set us free from the works of the adversary. The tight grip that uh, the devil has on the necks of people has been annihilated by Jesus in order to deliver us from bondage and into the wonderful worship of God. That is a child of the devil. Then finally, very quickly, a child of God does not make a practice of sinning. 1 John chapter 3 verse 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him. And he cannot, here it is, keep on sinning. Right, so in other words, John is saying that you may have slipped up. And when you slip up, uh, there is a way out by how? Confessing your sins. Right? Uh, but the one who is a child of the devil, that once they start to sin, guess what they keep doing? They keep on doing it. But if you know that you have sinned, that you get right before God, you get on your knees and you pray and you ask for the Lord's forgiveness. And guess what? He will wash you and he will forgive you of your sins. So is it then possible for a child of God to operate in purity on the one hand and practice moral impurity on the other. Is that possible? I believe it can happen, but not as a habit. So what this message was simply about, it was simply about the traits of a child of God and a child of devil. Whose daddy are you? I remember, you know, sometimes I used to wonder, you know, uh, if I look like my father. And, uh, and as I got older, I, be I began to see all the traits of my father. Uh, he, he doesn't remember this, uh, but I remember one time, uh, believe it or not, if you can believe this or not, uh, I, got in, I got in trouble in high school. It was, I think, the only time I got in trouble that they knew about uh, in high school. And, uh, and my father, he had to come up to the school. So anyway, once it got resolved, we were walking away. And uh, my teacher, uh, he started to laugh as my father and I, as we were walking away. And, uh, and later I went to him, I said, so, 
So why was you laughing at us? You know, in high school, you know how high school kids are. You know, especially young young men. They always got a chip on their shoulder. So I'm going to my teacher. Right? I had just gotten out of trouble. So I go to him and like, so so, so why are you laughing at uh, laughing at us when we walking away? And he starts snicking at me again. I said, oh, it must be all right because he's laughing. Now he's laughing in my face. So he says, you know that you are your daddy's boy. I said, well, how do you know that? He says, because when you and your daddy, when you guys walk away, you walk exactly the same way. I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. So how do you know who's your daddy? When people look at you, who do they say your daddy is? I hope your father is God and you get to him through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. What I'm going to do is... I